How are you doing? I want you to think through that. Uh, it's, it's the most natural and normal thing for us to do immediately after a catastrophic event for us to change up things, um, to focus on them, uh, to be somber, um, to be mindful, to be reflective, to be prayerful. That's normal. But just uh, like my, my friend Kyle was telling me, the, uh, the guy that you saw on the news a lot this past week, uh, had a real good opportunity in the middle, middle of the week. I've been texting him, telling him I've been praying for him. And he called me one night. And it was good to hear his voice. And I asked him that question, hey, how are you doing? And he was just describing just how, you know, how, how crazy it's been uh, in terms of all of the, uh, the, the questions and obviously with his job, um, trying to help in a, on a number of different fronts. Um, but then we were just describing that uh, there'll be a day and it's already come and gone when instead of the Hastings parking lot being full of trucks from different parts of the country that they would all go home and then we would still have to unpack this. That there are people still uh, definitely in the, in the very initial stages, those first formative stages of grieving, of uh, still trying to get their head around how catastrophically different their lives are going to be now. Let's not forget that there are people that are still in the hospital that need our prayers. Um, and I know that tendency that we have, let's say, let's, let's not, we, we need to remember and move on. We need to remember and move on. And, and part of that is just like time, it just catches us. Um, and so it's easy for us to, if you notice, you're probably talking a little less about it this Sunday as you did last Sunday. Um, but there's a lot that we still need to make sure that we're aware of, which is there are a lot of people that, us, that need us to continue to pray for them. Maybe there's a lot of people that we need to say thank you to. Um, when we gathered as a staff on Monday, uh, we just couldn't help but think about, not just for um, an amazing staff at Stillwater Medical Center and a, and a great um, police department, so grateful for all the work that Kyle and the rest of the, the, rest of the team did and the first responders and everything that they did. But um, I think Monday there were a whole new level of first responders known as uh, school teachers. And they're dealing with questions. I, I, my wife and I had to have children carefully spaced out to deal with their questions. And imagine having a room full of like 15 to 20 first graders that want to talk about it. And so let's remember to pray for, for, for them. Um, let me remind you that last week it seems like the most normal and natural thing to say, hey, we're here for you. Let us know how we can come alongside and help you process um, help you kind of think through this. We've got both professionals and, and, and lay people that would love to just come alongside and to say you don't have to go through this alone. And, um, and, and maybe last week you were fine and this week things are getting a little more complicated. Know that uh, even though all the, and I get it, I'm not upset that all the news people are gone. I totally see, understand how the world works. Um, but now let us remember that we are called not to just have periodic moments of silence but because we are the people of God, there is something like foundationally different. I'm not talking about the kind of silence where I don't know what to say to God and the Holy Spirit speaks on my behalf because I just know how to groan. That, that kind of silence is a good silence. But for people who don't know the Lord, the best that they can do is offer a, a moment of respect. But we, through Jesus Christ, have a path to the King of Kings.
and we can pray um, to the God who loves us and them. There's so many things that we can be praying for and need to continue to pray for. So let's not forget that. Let's do more than just give lip service to the let's remember. Um, let's, let's genuinely come alongside one another and continue to bear one another's burdens. Amen? Let's, let's do this. Let's be the church. Um, let's, let's pray now. Um, and so God, we thank you for your continued presence in the midst of our pain and your continued promise in the midst of our confusion. I thank you for what you have done and for what you continue to do. I pray for those right now that um, are kind of watching everybody else move on and they're stuck. And that could be for a ton of reasons. Father, I pray for those families that are grieving at the deepest loss level and that your presence would, would be there for them and that you, the God of all comfort, would comfort them. God, I thank you for um, the incredible team of first responders that, have, um, that have, have been your ambassadors knowingly or unknowingly. And I thank you um, for so many things that we were able to, um, to be grateful for. We just wonder how or why that happened, and yet... Father, it seems like that when tragedy strikes, we know how to wonder why you allowed it to happen and then fail to realize that the same God provided a tremendous amount of care and comfort and healing. And, and God, I pray that uh, for those families that are still dealing with just sights that were seen, especially by little ones, that God, you would provide for them wisdom to not just provide answers, but to provide their presence and truth about you. God, may we continue to be the church. God, I love this city. I'm grateful to be a part of it, truly grateful. And uh, I can understand when we talk about still water strong. I just pray for those of us who know you, realize that we're talking about a different kind of strength that only your spirit can provide. And Father, may we not just hold on to that, but may we deeply share the hope that we have and the reason why we have that hope and how that's Jesus. In essence, Father, lead us to be the church. And it's in your wonderful son that we pray these things. Amen. Okay, um, we are now going to continue our series on the gospel of the law and the land. And uh, whether you like it or not, I've actually had two weeks to prepare this. Um, and so I've had some time to reflect on this. Why don't we turn up the lights because I'm going to need you guys to be able to see each other here in a second. Um, we are going to be looking at Deuteronomy chapters 27 and 28, but not specifically. Um, if you want to turn in your Bibles, you don't have to do that now because in a little bit we'll get there. That's actually going to be Deuteronomy 30 where we're going to be talking about um, what actually is uh, the perspective that Moses wants the children of Israel to have of God and of his commandments or his laws. But what I would like to do this morning in light of what our story is about, which is the people of Israel speaking the truth to one another. You've heard the Bible say this, speak to one another, words of truth, sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. And, and, and often we, we know what that's like one-on-one, -on -one, but we really don't know what it's like people to people. 
in Deuteronomy 27, actually mountain to mountain. And so we're looking at this particular encounter in the book of Deuteronomy where Moses is telling the people, when you get into the land, there's going to be a couple of mountains, one Mount Ebal and one Mount Gerizim. And what I want you to do is divide up amongst the tribes. And I want these tribes to line up on this side of the mountain and these other tribes to line up on this side of the mountain. And I want you to speak to one another. I want you to remind each other, like at a very specific moment in time, what God has said and what God has in fact promised. It's good for us to do that, to to speak that kind of biblical truth to each other. And we just don't do it very often. One of the problems that I, I realized was growing up a Canadian where I have this huge country that I'm a part of, whenever I read Bible stories and I kind of think Israel's kind of like Canada, and it's really not. I hear the word mountain, and I, I, I spent some time growing up near the Rocky Mountains. And so I have this picture of a mountain. And when I had a chance to go to Israel um, a couple of years ago, it was amazing. We're on this one, we're taking this bus tour, and this is, okay, we're going to stop here for a moment. you got to see this site. It's rather amazing. And unlike a lot of our sites where they have like a gift shop and then another gift shop and then a gift shop to say that you were at this gift shop, you know? Instead of having that, it was actually rather plain. It was just this road beside this field. We get out, tour guide says, oh, by the way, little small thing happened here, uh, the battle between David and Goliath. Okay, whoa, 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 wait a second here. Right there? Yeah, right there. How do you know? That's the big question. Ryan Smith still doubted about everything he saw on the trip. Not that he doubted that it happened, but how do you know it happened here, you know? And then if you had a sign, you know, you know, David, I killed the giant right there. Wouldn't help. He wouldn't believe it, right? So we're in this, and I, I remember saying, well, tell me how you know. And they began to describe, well, do you see that, that mountain right there? And it was kind of like right there. Not two hours by drive that way, but it was right there. Well, that mountain or that mound and that you can see that little uh, kind of like this part of a city on top of it, that's such and such a city. Take a look across the valley and you see that city. See that mound? You see that? Yeah. Well, these are these particular cities. I'm going, okay, yeah. So then this would be the Valley of Elah right here between these two mountains. Yep. Oh, (gasps) wait a second. So that's the brook. Oh, wow. I I don't know if I have the actual one, but I I took enough stones that I may have got the one. Okay? (laughs) Kind of walk. You know what I mean? I I don't know if you're like this. I was just everywhere I went. I'm just kind of walking through the Valley of Elah going, I might find it. You know? (laughs) See if it's got a little Philistine blood on it. Yeah, that one right there, right? Um, so, I, but I, it was weird because I'm there and I'm going, oh, this totally makes, I can see this. It just, it just fits. And you go back and you can actually even take a look. You can Google Mount Ebal or Mount Gerizim and you can see these, um, these, these hills that kind of sit beautifully. And in this valley, the Israelites would line up on each side of the mountain and they would speak truth to each other. Now, here's what I want us to do. First service did great, by the way. They actually said they would do better than you. I disagreed. But here's what I, if you, if you get nervous when somebody says, um, hey, by the way, stand up and hold hands across the aisle, I got something more nervous than that. I want you to stand up right now. We're, I'm not kidding. I, I need you to just believe me for the next few moments, okay? Actually, the, the whole rest of my sermon, I want you to believe me. Stand up, okay? Now, here's what I want you to do. 
I now want you to face each other. Okay, so you're, you're, you're not talking to me. Look that way. I want you people to look that way. Okay, look that way. You're talking across. You got that? Okay, hold on, hold on. So here's what I want you to do. Who would like to be Mount Ebal and pr- pronounce the curses upon the people? I have no idea what it is about this side, but last service, this was Ebal as well. So this side here is going to pronounce the curses, and in a moment, this side here will pronounce the blessings. Now, here's something I want you to remember. This actually is a, is a pretty powerful thing, because we don't speak to another well enough like this. Hear me. They're not pointing their fingers at you and saying, you better be careful. They're speaking on behalf of all of us. They're, they're, they're speaking words of truth to us. That applies to them as much as it applies to you in the same way. They're not just pointing their finger at you. Curse are you. But when you, Mount Gerizim, pronounce these blessings, you're, you're pronouncing the blessings upon anyone who would dare to follow God. And so I, I've picked some of these, kind of taken from the text itself. And we're going to begin, so I want you to just listen And I want you guys to read, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to kind of look over at it, kind of get an idea, and then as best you can, I want you to look at your brothers and sisters in the Lord, and I want you to pronounce a curse. Think about this. Pronounce a curse not just on them, but on anyone that would dare do this. Okay? I've got a few curses. Are you ready? These are the curses you're allowed to say. Okay? You, you can go home later on. What did you do in church today? Cursed my brothers and sisters in the Lord. But only those who choose to do the wrong things. Read it with me. Are you ready? Cursed is anyone who makes an idol. Next one. Cursed is anyone who dishonors his father and mother. Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner. Amen the fatherless, or the widow. That's actually in the Bible. (laughs) Another one. Cursed is anyone who does not uphold the words of the law by carrying them out. So these are the curses that we pronounce and that as we say, you hear, and hopefully we hear. We don't get a pass. We have the same struggles that they have. And we all stand under the likelihood That should we disobey the Lord, the same curses that we pronounce would fall upon us. And now, the eternal optimists, the Gerizim people, we are now going to pronounce a blessings, not just upon us and not just upon you, but upon us. Same thing. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the works of your hands. 
So that's what it's like. You may be seated. It can, to be honest with you, sound a little bit like a marriage ceremony, can it? These are these vows that we're making. These are these promises that we are giving to one another. And, and, and yet, there really can be something powerful to say things like, we will be cursed should we choose to disobey the Lord. And we will be blessed as we honor him. There are promises, and this is what I would even argue, that the promises of the Lord that are given to us are actually both this and this. The promises of God are not just that, and your enemies will flee in a thousand directions. The promises of God are, and should you choose to rebel against me, should you choose to not be faithful to me, then this will be the judgment that you will face. And this is what the nation of Israel had an opportunity to partake in. Now, I don't know what you think about this, but I have to, had to admit that I've got this issue wrong a number of times. I, I love to talk about who God is and what God is like. And sadly enough, I have misunderstood him a number of times, and, and even in the context of a sermon, shared that misunderstanding with others. I'm grateful for the fact that God can hit a straight lick with a crooked stick because I can be kind of crooked sometimes. I've, I've made this mistake. I, I've said, think, said something to the effect that, that God, the God that we see of the Old Testament is a God of laws. And he gives these laws to us and he expects us to follow them. He gave laws to Adam and Eve and as soon as they failed, they were punished he gave law to, uh, to the people even during the time of Babel. And when they rebelled against him, God confounded their languages. That God gave the law to the children of Israel. Have you ever heard this? God gave the law to demonstrate to his people that they could not follow him perfectly. How many of you have heard that said? I've actually even said that before. Biggest problem? It's not biblical. I don't like, what I don't like, I guess, I don't like the verses. It, it's really not law versus grace. What, what that seems to somehow describe is that, that God changed his mind. Or just like with time, as, as things kind of relaxed, as, um, as people just grow up, they realize let's not make a big deal out of small things. And in the same way that our, our culture just kind of just loosens up a little bit. Maybe God did too. Again, not biblical. Like what we're actually going to see as we take a look at how Moses, uh, in, just after the reading of the, the law back and forth to one another, the blessings and the curses, Moses in his, in his final uh, description, in his final commands to the people of Israel is going to describe the law in terms where you might be surprised. You might say, I never really noticed that the law was described this way. I guarantee you this, you didn't get the idea that God created a legal system to just demonstrate how messed up we are, set us up for failure from the beginning, is actually the farthest thing from the way Moses describes it. Okay, we're there, Deuteronomy 30. Are you ready? I'm gonna, I'm gonna begin down in verse 11, and I would even say that Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11 would be a good one to underline. A great one to keep going back to. Here's why I think it matters. 
When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, had a great example of that today. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, we love to celebrate grace, grace, God's grace, God's mercy, God's grace, God's mercy. And we can celebrate that. You can't measure up and you can't. All these are true statements. Jesus died for you, true. Now what do I do? I live in this wonderful world of grace where I can obey the Lord. Now wait a second here. I thought I couldn't obey the Lord. Well, you can't. Okay, so am I supposed to obey the Lord? Yes, you are supposed to. How many of you have been confused by how the Bible seems to describe this? So what is it? And the answer is yes. I mean, truly, the answer is yes. We like to pit these things against each other. And when more that you read God's word, the more you see how it fits together. And it's not as confusing as some preachers have made it. I'm telling you. It's not as confusing as some preachers make it. Moses says this. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11. We're going to look at verses 11 through 14. And you tell me if God gave the law to just show people you can't do this. Verse 11. For this commandment, Moses there is speaking kind of uniformly about all of these commandments kind of fit under one commandment, which by the way is what? To love the Lord your God. The second is like the commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. And these, all the commands of God hinge. Loving God. This commandment that I command you today is way too hard. No, not too hard for you. Neither is it far off. It's not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you would ever say, who will go over across the sea and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Essentially, what, what Moses is saying is, is that, do you realize that that thunder that just spoke, that the word of the Lord, which was clearly articulated as I give you the description of his way, of his expectations, of his decrees, of his commands, is that there's no way for us to kind of make him do that, that instead of all of the other gods, which basically said, hey, try reading tea leaves, count the stars, watch and see if the blood moons line up. That's how you're gonna know what's going on. Take your goats when they give birth, Cut them open, see what's happening. Really? This is how we're supposed to figure out the creator of the universe and all that he expects from us? Really? <laughs> Come on, seven. That's what we're going to be doing? Answer is no. It's not up there that we have to say, how do we get up there and get it? It's not way over there. How can we go way over there and somehow discern what God wants from us? Moses says, it is not these things. It is not too hard. Um, for those of you that are married, you're really gonna know what I, you're gonna get what I'm about to say. Does it ever drive you crazy when your spouse has an expectation for you, of you, from you, and they don't articulate it? They just wait to see if you're gonna do it. And then when you don't do it, they let you know you didn't do it. And then you're going, I didn't even know I was supposed to do it. And then this is what you get. How did you not know? And I'm going, easy? You didn't say anything to me. To which I get the same response. I don't know how you didn't know. I don't know how you could expect. I mean, anybody been in that marriage? (laughs) 
anybody married? Okay, okay. Anybody been in that marriage, right? What do we want? Okay, okay, fine. Any of you have parents and your parents expect things from you, right? Amen, con college students, help me here. So you have this, and here's the beauty of it. What the beauty of it is, and this is why for the Jewish people, they looked at the law not as this, oh, how do we do this? But thank you for telling me what you want. They considered the law to be unbelievably gracious of God. Not something they couldn't do, but something they could do. Where did they get that idea from? Moses. Verse 14. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart so that you can do it. This is the understanding that they had of the law. Now you might say, but wait a second. I thought that no one could live a perfect life. I I guarantee you they couldn't. Law doesn't mean that you'll always do it right. Law is the description that God has of his expectations for us. And and God doesn't have an expectation that somehow we will live perfectly. He knows. He knows your failure, he knows mine. He knows your limitations and he knows mine. He knows your weaknesses and he knows mine. It's like he knows them intimately. But in the very beginning, the day you eat of this free or the fruit of that tree, you will surely die. And they eat. And death is coming. But grace is there with it. God provides grace in the midst of their brokenness. You see this all through the Bible. Then instead of just squishing the Tower of Babel and just killing everyone, God offers grace. Instead of just giving up on everyone during the time of Noah, he rescues people and says, I'm going to start again. Go back and read the pages of the Bible and what you will see is not a confused God, sometimes offering law and sometimes offering grace, but a God who always offers his way, who always offers the truth about himself. And in the midst of that incredible offer, knowing just how messed up and broken and selfish we are, grace is right there with it all. Right there with it all. We know what it's like. You know what it's like, right? Like when a catastrophe happens, and then in the midst of that catastrophe, you have all these amazing stories of grace. How does that happen? Now that's a, that's a big question. I'm just amazed that it happens. And so God comes to his people and he doesn't give them an either or. You want law or grace? God says, I love you so much. I'm going to reveal to you who I am. I'm going to share with you the way that I am, the way that I want you to live and the desire. I want to give you a path of life. And I'm going to be there for you every step of the way. And when you fail, I'm still going to be there for you. How many of you sent your children to school that first day knowing they wouldn't get 100% all the time? How many, even though it would drive you crazy, even though I want you to know that in the midst of this, there's going to be ups and downs, but more than anything, any good parent offers what? My presence in the midst of all of that. Do your best, and, and you know that your child's best, I mean, comes with limitations, right? Comes with failures, comes with mistakes. And in the midst of all of that is grace. That is the Lord, 
That is God. That is the, the gospel that we see living through the law and the land. One of my greatest desires in ministry is for you to have, anytime I preach, for you to have a full understanding and appreciation of who the God of the Bible is. Not some schizophrenic version of a God who used to be angry but finally mellowed out. It's just not the truth. Jump down to verse 15 and see how this continues. See, Moses says, I have set before you today life and good. That's when we follow God's plan. Death and evil. That's when we choose to rebel against God's plan. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, and notice how we do this. By what? By strict obedience and legalism. See, that was never God's plan. That's man's way of manipulating the law. That's not God's plan. God's plan isn't for you to do it whether you like it or not. Just be obedient. No, that would be self-righteousness. How do we obey the law of the Lord? Right here. By loving the Lord your God. By walking. That word there is kind of a word that both in the Old and New Testament, it literally means like staying in the path. I need to stay in the path. This this path of God. This path of blessings. This path of righteousness. Blessed is the one who. And by the way, cursed is the one who. Who what? Cursed is the one who wanders off the path. Blessed is the one who stays in the path. This is how the children of Israel, and I would even argue the people of God, have always seen themselves. You know, one of the first descriptions of the early Christians, people of the way. They were the people of the way. The way of what? The way of Jesus, which we see as the perfect fulfillment of the law. So this incredible description that we have about obeying him comes by loving and by walking and by keeping his commandments and statutes and rules. And then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. And what I find interesting is is that I, I think this is what it means by orange. You know, we talk about orange, families and the church coming together to do discipleship together. So instead of dropping off your kids and then us kind of taking care of the spiritual component and then giving them back to you and then you do kind of, you know, baseball and, and mathematics and then you bring them back and we do a little bit of Jesus to them and then they go off and they kind of learn some, you know, some usable skills and then we, you give them back to us and we're gonna give them some more Bible. That's not biblical. We're partnering together. In what? The way. The way. So when your son or or daughter comes home and says, listen, um, I want to go out and hang out with my friends, and I've got my driver's license now, and it's Halloween, can I go? Like a Christian parent doesn't say, well, whatever you do, you better not have sex, and whatever you better do, better not get drunk, and whatever you do, because that's bad. No, we describe the way. Like this is what the way looks like. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is the way. This is the way that we live. This is the way that we speak. This is the way that we treat one another. This is the way that we honor God with our bodies. This is the way. It's not a threat. It's just the way. And we do this. This is how we love God. Honor 
him. And when parents really nail this, when they really get it, they're not issuing just moral commands. They're reminding their children of the way. When you and I nail it, it's not when we have moral uh, commands for one another, but when we describe the way. Verse 17, some harsh reality. God, God knows, by the way, that not just the children of Israel, but everybody kind of falls woefully short. Look at this, verse 17. I'm not talking about the kind of mistakes um, that we just make in the journey, but I'm talking about now rebellion. But if your heart turns away and you do not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and to serve them, this is no longer the person who's occasionally making a mistake, but the person who is willfully rejecting God. I declare to you today that you shall surely perish You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and to possess. Now, now what's interesting is that God always knew this and that God did not leave his plan of ultimate redemption through Jesus Christ up to our faithfulness. Take a jump back. I love this because God always is ahead of us in 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 this regard. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 1. So before we ever get to the, and you can do this, Moses is already aware because the Lord has revealed it to him that we can't do this, that God's grace is going to extend further than you and I realize. God tells the children of Israel, I know how this is going to go, and I know that you're going to start out as a nation with the best of intentions, and I know you're going to hear, and on the day when we say the curses and the blessings, we're going to be brutally committed. It's kind of like that first day. It's that first week of your marriage, and you're going to make this work, and now all of a sudden, it's 10 years in, and I don't know if I can do this anymore. God knows. God knows your breaking point. Not in your marriage, but with him. And God knows collectively, because it's not just about individuals, God knows collectively our breaking point. And I love the fact that God says, and and by the way, I'm not not stuck with that. I've got a bigger plan. Look at verse one. And when all these things, which is the rebellion of the people of Israel, and when all these things come upon you, the blessings and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, in essence, because of your faithlessness, and you return to the Lord your God and all of your children and obey his voice in all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. In verse six, and the Lord your God, this is how great our God is, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. This is the great plan of God, to give us the way, to make the path clear, and then in the midst of our failure, in the midst of our failure as a community, in the midst of our failure as individuals, God does not leave the glory of him or the eternal plan of him up to us, but provides a way. And that way is Jesus. 
Jesus is the one that makes all this fit together. And I don't know what you think about this word law. I hope, hopefully, I don't know if I want you to love it. I just want you to understand the depth or the riches that it has in the Bible. Paul calls it holy and good in the book of Romans, where he's also celebrating the greater good, which is Jesus Christ. So here's how I, I believe it is. That God's, let's just call it this way, God's expectation, okay, the law, never excluded his grace, ever. Nowhere in the Bible did his law exclude his grace. Better yet, God's grace, which we see, not just in the New Testament, but throughout the Bible, God's grace never excludes his expectation. That's one of the reasons why the Apostle Paul can use this phrase. When he's talking about us loving and caring each other, here's what he says, and he doesn't have to apologize for it. Under the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul says, as we love and care for one another, he says this, and thus fulfill the law of Christ. He didn't say, and thus fulfill the grace of Jesus, which really has no expectations. No. These aren't expectations by which we could ever stand before God and say, I did it and you owe me. No one can do that. We are saved by grace alone. We are saved by our trust in what Jesus Christ did for us. But God's law never came without his grace. And God's grace that was given from the beginning to the end never excludes his expectation. Everyone who gets this right, Abraham, Peter, and hopefully you, realize that God's grace is before you, it is after you, it is underneath you. God's grace through the example and then the specific work of Jesus Christ has always been afforded to you and to everyone else so that you and I can truly be blessed. Not the kind of blessing that keeps us in the land that we were reciting back to one another, but the kind of blessing that can actually bring us into the presence of God. Because what we actually have in Jesus Christ is not just a generic curse, but we're talking about the curse. The Bible actually says, and cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. And Jesus takes on our curse. Jesus takes on himself the curse that provides the blessing of grace to us. And that's the gospel that we find in the law and the land. The, the gospel that we find that God has prepared for us. That in spite of our failures and in spite of our best intentions, we are still men and women in need of a savior. And Jesus took care of our greatest problem and that is our sin. And then through the giving of the Holy Spirit, Jesus has taken care of any kind of effort that you might have to try to please God. And Jesus gave you the Holy Spirit. Jesus gave me the Holy Spirit, which now is the empowerment of us to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. Romans 8. Like, do you realize? This is why I never understood why Christians love to say, I can't do that. I can't do it. It's just too hard. I can't forgive. I can't do it. I can't overcome my fears. I can't do it. I can't remain faithful. I can't do it. I've got to give in to this temptation. I'm not going to say, I believe in you. No, I don't believe in you. 
I don't. I don't believe in me. I know the failures. But I believe in him. And I believe in his continued grace. Do you? And I believe in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in each and every one of us. And that is the amazing picture that we see in Deuteronomy all the way to the book of Revelation. Let me read to you as I close. Some great blessings. My favorite book of the Bible is the book of Revelation. And at the very, in, in that book within it, there are a few woes and a few curses that go through the book. But kind of sprinkled throughout the book are seven, that's an important number in the book of Revelation, seven blessings. And all of them have to do with Jesus. The Bible says, for us who are followers of Jesus Christ, Revelation 3, verse 1, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and keep, or do, or obey, is the literal Greek word, who obey what is written in it for the time is near. Revelation 14, 13, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds will follow them. See, people that have this law versus grace thing hate that verse. What do you mean their deeds? Well, these are about the rewards, and actually none of that is actually in the text. We know for a fact that there are no deeds that I could do to earn God's grace. These deeds are the ones that we do that God has created in advance for us to do through Jesus Christ so that no one can boast. Ephesians 2, verse 10. See, this is the kind of blessed life that we now live because we're not just trying to figure out how to not sin, but we are truly blessed by the power of the Holy Spirit. I can now rest from my labors and all those things that I did for the glory of God the Father Follow me. Revelation 16, 15, behold, I'm coming like a thief and blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on that he may not go about naked and be exposed. Nakedness in the book of Revelation having to do with a sinful way of living, dressed in Christ's righteousness, clothed in white. Revelation 19, 9, and the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. I tasted a little bit of it this morning, Ashley. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Revelation 20, verse 6, blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. That's when we die and we come back to life again. That's going to be fun. Over such the second death, which is when people go to hell, over which the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Revelation 22, 7. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And Revelation chapter 22, verse 14. And blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to eat of the tree of life and that they may enter the city, that beautiful city that comes down from heaven by the gates, the way that God has made for us to enter. Jesus said, behold, what? I am the, I'm the door, I'm the way, the truth and the life. And if you know that, if you trust that, 
you are blessed. I can't say it better than the book of Revelation, but let me say it this way. Blessed is everyone who trusts in the complete works of Jesus for their salvation and peace with God. Blessed are those who find joy in the commands of Jesus and walk in his truth and follow his example. Blessed is everyone, absolutely everyone, who patiently and faithfully waits for Jesus to return to judge the living and the dead and reward, to reward them with eternal life. And on that note, we can all say, what? May you be blessed by God through Christ. If you want to continue this faith conversation, we'll be up here. Don't forget about Uganda. Love you guys, and we'll see you on Wednesday night.